As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Well, thank you all for joining us at this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I have the distinct pleasure today to have Menda Hearts in our studio. Menda is the founder of the Career Platform for Women of Color, the Memo LLC, your host to Secure the Seat, as well as the author, best-selling author, might I add. I saw that already. <laughs> already. And to the Memo, what women of color need to know to secure a seat at the table, which we hope you all will grab your copy on Audible or Amazon or any place, local bookstores that you purchase your books. And Minda, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Mike. I'm so happy to be here. This is my first time in Cincinnati, and it's been great. That's wonderful. Yes. That's wonderful. So, Minda, share with us a little bit with the audience. What are you trying to accomplish with sharing your story and putting your journey out there for people to learn from? Yeah, so it's interesting because as Black women we and women of color, we've often been told that be strong, you know, don't share your feelings, don't let people see you sweat, right? Many of us have received that advice. And one of the things that I realized on my journey is being one of the only ones in the workplace or one of few Black women in the workplace is that you're in isolation. You're constantly questioning, am I doing this right? Do I need to sacrifice my wants and needs and desires to make others feel comfortable with who I am? So what does it mean to be authentic when you've been told how to wear your hair? What name to go by all of these different things that we've been told. And so I wanted to write a career book where Black and brown women could see themselves through the pages. Oftentimes, we have to read the stories of other people and try to fit into that box. And so I felt like the late Toni Morrison said, write the book that you would want to read. And that's exactly what I did. And the book's only been out for three days. And I've received over 200 emails from Black and brown women saying, just thank you. Thank you. You don't know how much I needed this. And I'm just overwhelmed. Hmm. That's awesome. <laughs> I know from the following of your community building up to this and joining your community as we build up to this, the experiences people are, just the opportunity that you're having to hear stories, but hopefully more importantly, the opportunity for them to hear your story and to be encouraged and inspired by leading and being right. who you are, being yourself and owning it and enjoying it and living in it, yes. which is what we're all supposed to do. We are. For so long, I think many of us have been surviving in the workplace. And I'm saying, you don't have to be cautious anymore. Mm. I want you to thrive in the workplace and give yourself permission to be able to do that. And I think that we have to address some ugly truths that I write about in the book in order for us to move forward. But I'm saying, I don't want any more Black and brown women to defer their dreams of the C-suite, if that's where they want to be, due to cautious leaders that won't retain and advance us. And Let's acknowledge that, but also here are some tangible tools to put in your career toolkit. So when you get your seat, you're ready, right? Um, just like you have a place setting, you have everything you need when you eat your steak, you have the fork and the knife, and I want women of color to have what they need, the tools for success. So when they get there, they don't just feel grateful to be there. They secure their seat. It's not just sitting in the seat. Absolutely. So Minda, share with us a little bit the work that you have done with the career platform for women of color 
as I've been reading and hearing about it, I mean, it's such a powerful resource. Can you share with us a little bit about that body of work? Yes, absolutely. So I, what people may not know is I spent 15 years in corporate nonprofit roles as one of the only ones or one of few. And I realized that there weren't a lot of career development tools geared toward women of color because our experiences can be different than other women. And so in 2015, I decided to start the Memo LLC, a career platform that talks about the experiences of women of color, but provides tools. So yes, like yesterday was Black Women's Equal Pay Day. So maybe you don't have the tools to negotiate. So we run career boot camps. And how do you make that ask? How do you prepare yourself for such a high stakes negotiation? And public speaking, right? One of those things about being at the table is using your voice. And so if you're not comfortable doing that, you need the tools to be able to do that. And also one big thing that I write about is networking. So how do you build a squad? How do you strategically make those connections to help catapult yourself forward? And we do all that at the memo, the company. And so along with my co-founder, Lauren Broussard, and we just felt like there was a gap missing in career development. And so we wanted to fill it and now, since we started the company in 2015, we still work with individual women, but we also work with companies now to help build out their, what many companies call multicultural programming for women. And so we've been working with some Fortune 500 companies this year to help build out their programming so that all women are seen in the workplace. That's awesome. Yes. That's awesome. With the work of the memo, you're on your national book tour. Yes. <laughs> How is that looking for you and feeling? You know, it's so wild, Mike, because when I started the company, I started alone. And then my good friend joined me several months later. And when I had this idea, people would tell me, this is never going to work. Like, there's no audience for this. There's career platforms out there. Just everybody's already read Lean In, you know, all of these different things. And I knew in my heart even though we couldn't get funded, nobody took us seriously, that we had to keep going because I knew how I felt sitting in the workplace, not having the resources I needed. And I sat at my friend's house the other night and I sat and cried because I think I wouldn't be here right now if I would have listened to those people who said, you don't deserve a seat at the table. And so this book means more to me than people will ever know. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> and an encouragement to all of those yes. who hear that, right? That Absolutely. Those voices on your shoulder or in your workplace mm-hmm. telling you that that's just not going to work. Yeah. Sometimes the most well-meaning advisors and friends, right. because everyone, there's a majority of the population that's risk adverse. Absolutely. And is not willing to put themselves out there. Right. And I would say the same thing in our case with podcasting and all of these things where you're creating vulnerability and mm-hmm. transparency that most people aren't comfortable with. Absolutely. But when you have a reason, mm-hmm. it makes it a whole lot easier because you're stepping in with a suit of armor intentionally. Right. And you certainly have a reason. I have a reason, but most importantly, yes, the memo was written, I call it a love letter to women of color, but it's also a memo to those who are not of color, right. letting them know that, you know, these are some of the experiences that we have. And if you want to truly be an ally or what I call a success partner, then here's an opportunity for us to have some really hard conversations. But I think if we have them, we'll be so much better off yeah. together in the workplace to really create equity. I often say that cautious leaders use rhetoric, courageous leaders take action. And in order for us to really bridge the gap, we're going to have to be courageous together. Yeah. So when we talk about success partners and allies, I know I personally want to be one and and put myself in many cases in many different areas and topics. But what are some of the areas that you can share what you share a little bit in your book about 
what is that actually? How can we actually be a success partner? Because I love your comment around allies are also those that actually take action. Yes. <laughs> right? And don't just say, I'm your ally, I want to be your friend. Right. But are actually making things stronger for for women of color mm-hmm. and any topic we might be able to talk right. about. Absolutely. And so I think that it's important. I'm glad that we now have language around allyship because before I don't think people really thought of themselves in that way. So I'm thankful for that. But I also think to your point, a lot of people are wearing it like a badge of honor and they haven't actually done any work. (laughs) So I'm saying let's activate that. So I see that you might have the intent, but what does it look like to actually activate your allyship? And that becomes a success partner. And I talk about a few of those. There were a lot of white men in my former life that brought me to the table. They saw something in me and they helped me get more money. They taught me how to negotiate. Having, I talk about a mentor I had named Chuck. He sat down with me and said, you're worth it, Minda. This is how you negotiate. This is how you articulate your value and tell your career story. And had I not had those people who took the time with me to say, you deserve $100,000, just like the person you're sitting next to, but here's what you need to do. And here's what you need to say. And so I think really partnering with me on success, but on the other flip side is What you did, Mike, is that when you saw that I was coming to Cincinnati, you said, you reached out and said, how can I be helpful? I feel like the community needs to hear what you have to say. And you, we are going to have a sold out lunch and learn this afternoon because of your activation. And I would encourage our allies to become success partners. How can you, you accelerated my success in a matter of time. You used your social capital to do that. And I think we really have to be intentional. And so I want to thank you for doing that because that's what, allyship looks like. When you talk about career coaching, so one of the chapters in your book, which I love, I shared to those listening and watching, being in the space of careers my entire career, she nails the career coaching chapter. And there's aspects of that that are a little bit uncomfortable, but I think people are going to be able to put themselves in that seat and say, yes, I have avoided that. I've done exactly what you just said I shouldn't do for the last 15 years of my career, but you encourage the change. It may not feel comfortable, but the only way women of color are going to be comfortable is that more of us are taking action to make this normal, normalize the diversity at the table and securing the seat at the table. Can you share just a couple of learnings there with our audience so that they can pick up the rest of the book? Yes, you got to get it. Don't let the cover fool you in the name. Yes, I had somebody say to me, oh, I wish I could get that book, but it's for women of color. No, it's for everyone. If you care about the future of work and you see yourself as a leader or a future leader, then this book is for you. And so to add to that, I think it's important to say that we have to look at our tools that we have, our resources, just like you have a hammer at home, you have your screwdriver. What are the tools that you need in your toolkit? And I talk about really taking those personal assessments of yourself and almost like Strength finders, for example, that's one that I tell everybody to utilize because you need to know what strengths you have so that you can hone in on those and enhance them, but then also identify what are those weaknesses so you can turn them into strengths. And I uh, mentioned in the book that public speaking was something that I was definitely afraid of. And so when I kind of laughed that I'm doing these speaking circuits in, in different places, but I was so nervous, but I knew if I wanted to secure my seat, public speaking would be required of me. Self-advocacy would be required of me. And so I took an improv class at UCLA and every day I 
that I went to that class, I was like, oh God, this is the worst. Because at one minute, if the instructor barks, says bark, you have to bark or do whatever, something crazy. But it allowed me to get out of my comfort zone and something that I saw as a weakness became a superpower. And so I think we have to, we can go out to our local restaurant and spend $200 easy or on shoes or clothes. And I'm saying, let's invest in ourselves. Let's invest in, we are the asset. And so figure out what are those tools that you need and connect with those experts to help you get there. That's excellent. So we talk about the personal advocacy. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that many of us don't think as much about, right? right? And that you just shared that you actually said, I'm not comfortable doing this. People ask me often, Mike, you are just so comfortable speaking in public. Mm -hmm. And for those who have followed the Failing Forward podcast, I've talked about that, that that wasn't my episode there with Sarah Brown. I share about my fear of man kept me from doing all of what I felt God intended of my life, right? And I had to get comfortable. So no, I don't, uh, now I kind of enjoy getting up and for, let's be clear, I've enjoyed being up in front because I know that I'm called to be there right? and that it's not about me, mm-hmm. right? It's about what is coming out and what we're trying to lead forward. And I certainly have felt that vibe with you too, that you writing this book and stepping out, it's not just about you. It's bigger. Right? It's, it's bigger so than that. Bigger. It's so much bigger. And even when I get nervous, even now with the book being out and the vulnerability that I put out in this book, it's scary, that fear. But my curiosity is larger than that. My curiosity to see more people impacted by it. So I have to put my fear aside and step into my courage because it's bigger than me. Right. And that's what our many of our former leaders and our ancestors, they had to step into their courage and push aside their caution. And so that's what we're doing. That's awesome. Yeah. So Rosemary, thank you so much for tuning in. Rosemary Oglesby Henry runs an amazing organization called Rosemary Babies here in town and is very active with the Metropolitan Club and is one of the coolest promoters in our region. So she asked the question, what is one way a person learns to be resilient in the face of adversity? That's great. Thank you, Rosemary. Yes. Yes, Thank you for your question. I think back to like the Webster's Dictionary, the definition of courage is the ability to do something that frightens one. And then for continuity's sake, the same dictionary defines caution as to avoid potential problems or dangers. And so when I think about that resilience factor, it's always stepping into our courage and pushing aside the caution because future generations are counting on us to make decisions that will ultimately make their bottom line better. And so that always pushes me to be resilient. So when you know that probably when you started your company, you know that it was larger than you, right? You knew that future generations were counting on you. And so that always reminds me to be resilient, but then also that self-worth. I think sometimes we often wonder, is it me? Should I be the one leading this or stepping into this movement? And I think that's part of the resilience, always reminding yourself that, yes, why not me? And then you bring other people who can help build along with you. And when it's our time to pass the baton, we've done the work so that others have it easier going forward. And so it's small steps every day to chip away at that, but we have to keep going forward. Never looking in the rearview mirror. I love that. I often think about the whole theory of if not me, if not now, when? Mm -hmm. And I've shared in many, with many colleagues in this community that we talk, sometimes the conversations are what we wish were happening. Absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. And I believe we need to reframe that to say, what can we do? Because what we wish will happen doesn't change anything. Nothing. What can we are the leaders of today 
if we want to see change, we need to be the change. Dr. Martin Luther King said it best in his letter in the Birmingham jail. He said, we will live in the monologue and not the dialogue. And it's so important that we live in the monologue and that's through the action. You know, so I think it's so important that we, we don't just talk about it and be about it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I have a couple more questions. Okay, let's um, do it. <laughs> so one of the questions that came in is, thank you, Chris Lewis. What advice would you give young women of color who are just entering the workplace? What is the first step to a seat at the table? I write about this in the book, not necessary. Thank you so much for your question. Is about that empire state of mind versus enemy state of mind. And I think sometimes we're just so grateful to get the job, to get the role. And sometimes we don't even negotiate our first salaries. We're just so thankful and grateful. And so I would encourage to young women of color is to practice knowing your worth before you step inside the workplace. Because for so long, many of us who have been in the workplace as adult women of color, we've been cautious at the expense of our own well-being. And that means we wait maybe for someone to tap us on the shoulder and say, are you ready for a promotion? You know, this system of a meritocracy, which sometimes doesn't exist in most cases. And so I think if we understand our place and our value and know that, yes, I can negotiate, I can articulate the work that I've been doing in college and high school, and I deserve this range. There's a range for a reason. And so I would practice on just those competencies of even networking. So we talk about building our networks as adults, right? But I think it's so important as young adults for us to see ourselves and build those networks and those squads. So I would definitely say it's a mind shift. And if you have children that are young women of color, starting to talk to them about negotiations and building your network, because I think sometimes we enter the workforce as the only ones and we don't talk about some of the hard truths. And I talk about in our community, sometimes we've been told for so long, just don't rock the boat, just put your head down, you know, just do your work. And I think it's time that we lift our head up and walk into our power. As we experience that, if I look at myself as a success partner, Mm -hmm. what can you share with the white leaders, the Caucasian leaders in our community when they see that there's so many things, again, and I encourage everyone to get a copy of the memo. I mean, a lot of what you have shared and your experiences I've sat next to or I've heard as an output of an interview. I hear often with women executives that you wouldn't feel so intimidated by me if I were a man because I'm just delivering the tone like a professional does, but you're judging me because I'm a woman. Right. And therefore, I'm seen as aggressive. Mm-hmm. I'm overly aggressive. Are there aspects there that when we won, what you called me to do (laughs) was when I hear that and when I see I need to make sure that I'm verbalizing that that's not okay. That's not the case at all. In fact, myself and one of our VP of client engagement here, Becky Sheeler and I, we talk about this often Mm -hmm. and we do talk about that. That's why our search firm places 26% of the leaders we place are leaders of color and our diversity rate is 40% plus Mm -hmm. because we're intentional about it, right? We care, Mm -hmm. we're intentional. We are intentional about organizations. I was having a recent conversation with a organization. It was like, we just can't find as many people of color to hire. And our comment is that's just not true. How intentional are you being? What is your strategy? Your strategy needs to look different than what you have done in the past, or you will get the same result, including who's on the hiring team, what your leaders look like, where you're posting jobs, Mm -hmm. where you're marketing opportunities. It has to be intentional to look different 
have different results. Yes, that's so great. I'm glad you said that because it goes really to the intent of it because I feel like diversity and inclusion is such a buzzword equity right now. And so we're doing a lot of talking about it, but okay, now what's the activation? What is the intent behind it? So if leaders are speaking about, oh, diversity matters at my company, but then if I'm a woman of color sitting in the company working for you and you're saying as a leader, the CEO, diversity matters and nobody in leadership looks like me, then how do you think it feels for me as a woman of color working in your company? And so I would love to see, I have to tell you this really quick, for those who feel like maybe I don't know what to do or how to do it. A few months ago, I was doing a kind of a pre-tour of the memo and I went to one of the top law firms in New York City and I spoke to their associates and some of their partners about being success partners. Mm -hmm. And just recently, I heard from one of the partners there at the location and he said, you know, I'm so thankful that you came in and talked to us about this because I wasn't aware of some of these things. And they only had one out of a class of 40 associates. Only one was a black woman. And he said, she's a rock star and I'm going to do what I need to do to make sure that she doesn't leave. Because if I'm not creating a culture in which she feels she can thrive in, then she's going to leave. And I said, that's the key. It's the retainment and in the advancement. And he's like, I actually asked for them to shift her office closer to mine so that I could be a resource for her so that I could speak up. And I'm like, that's the type of work that needs to be done. (laughs) The CG introspective and to activate that because she'll see that and she'll feel like they value me. And so I can't wait. And she's a young woman. So I can't wait to see what life will be like for her like five years from now, because that person is investing in her right now. Yeah, And what that, how that culture will be transformed. Absolutely. Right. So that mm-hmm. intentional ma- intentionality is contagious. Yes, I like that. Right? <laughs> That's a tweetable. <laughs> it, is, it is contagious. And yes. if we're more intentional, people pick up on it and go, wow, that's actually making an impact. Mm-hmm. Right. And then let's tell the story about the impact it's also had on your business and on the people who work for you. Right. Right. I know that we talk a lot about inclusion. One of our board members and faculty members and one of my mentors, Janet Reed. Dr. Janet Reed talks about diversity is the noun, inclusion is the verb. Yes. We have to create action or it does not happen. And being intentional changes everything. It's a game game. changer. It's a game changer. Yeah. So as we look at the next phase of your book tour, so you're going to be here here in Cincinnati (laughs) today for an awesome event that we're, we have many partners. We've got the Women's Fund of Greater Cincinnati we have the Metropolitan Club, we have the African American Chamber, we have the Cincinnati Alumni, which is the Leadership Alumni Program of the Cincinnati Chamber. We have the Leadership Northern Kentucky Alumni Network, which is the Northern Kentucky Chamber of Commerce Program. We also have the Urban League of Greater Cincinnati and Dayton involved here and Southwest Ohio. So lots of partners that are coming together to say, Yes, this is important to us. Yes, we will fill a room. Again, pick up the book and connect with Menda on her podcast. Secure the Seat is an outstanding podcast. I'd also be remiss if I didn't mention the connections that Menda and I have formed. We met via Twitter. Yes. Right? Social capital. Um, social, social capital. <laughs> and through various friends, Wendy Daly, who runs the HR Social Hour podcast, and Sarah Morgan, yes. who runs the Leading in Color podcast. And there's lots of individuals that are talking about these topics to normalize them Mm -hmm. and to make sure that I always say with our podcast work, we want the uncomfortable conversations to be had here Mm -hmm. because leaders can listen in a safe place 
We hope they take applicable tools back to their lives, not just their workplaces. Both places. We hope they're not just their boardroom table or their leadership table looks different by an output, but their dinner table. Yes. What do our kids' communities look like? How do we transform the way that we're thinking and how do we be more intentional? And stepping into that and creating the conversations and creating dialogues. But this connection with Minda and I shows the power of the social networks and the ability to go, Minda, you're in New York, (laughs) we're here in greater Cincinnati, and here we are today together, all because of this mutual draw and connection to say, you know what, let's take action, let's raise the bar, let's increase expectations, let's call people into doing something different tomorrow and making people feel a little uncomfortable, right? It's okay to feel uncomfortable. And it makes you realize I am uncomfortable on certain topics. And maybe that means I should be more educated on certain topics too. Bingo. So any other key takeaways or what is when you look at the hundreds of people, thousands of people that will hear this episode, what do we want to leave them with? Action. Three things. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this at our sold out event later is identifying the problem, mobilizing your intent into action and accelerating the process for those who've been left behind. That's outstanding. Yes. That's outstanding. (laughs) Well, thank you to all of those who have tuned in. Thank you for all of the comments and the likes and the shares. We would ask that you continue to share, Mm -hmm. not just as we're going to bring this episode to a close, but this conversation will help many people. And we ask that you continue to share it and to make comments and send it to friends that are in a position of opportunity and a position of authority and power more importantly, that that gives them the opportunity to change the way they lead and to reframe what they believe is success in their workplace, in their relationships, and their community and life. Thank you for joining us today, Minda. Thank you so much thank for being here. Thank you for the here. conversation. And we look forward to our next discussion on the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity.